scripture reading today is taken from Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at that time what they had seen. May God be pleased with the reading of his word. Please be seated. Before we look at today's passage, I I owe you a word about the uh, last verse from two weeks ago that I promised. Uh, From Luke 9, 27, which read, I tell you the truth, Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. That's a somewhat cryptic statement, and scholars have been divided as to its actual meaning. There are four popular explanations to it. Jesus is referring to the transfiguration, which we just read about, or the resurrection, or the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., or the second coming. Now, in some sense, all four of those events reveal reveal an aspect of the kingdom of God. However, Jesus gives a criteria that limits it. He says, some of you standing here will not taste death until it happens. Transfiguration happens too quickly. It's only a week later. Like Jesus saying, some of you will be alive next week. It just doesn't carry a lot of reason. And the same can be said for the resurrection, which is not all that far off. And at that time, only Judas had died. The second coming, on the other hand, is too far away. All of them will be dead. Which leaves only one, which was the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., And the kingdom of God comes in various aspects, and one big aspect of it is a judgment. And by that time, uh, a number of the disciples, most of them, had been martyred, but some were still alive. Uh, John, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, they remained alive. So that would seem to be the answer to that saying and what Christ meant about staying alive while the kingdom, and when they would see the kingdom. 
But let's turn to our passage today. But today we stand on holy ground. We catch a glimpse of glory today. Today we experience both the awe and the mystery of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And this is the transfiguration of Christ. Now Jesus only chooses Peter, John, and James for this experience to accompany him up on the mountain. Now some people always get a little uncomfortable when God chooses some people and not everybody. And that uneasiness really comes from a discomfort with God's absolute sovereignty. As sovereign Lord, he is the potter. And he can do with the clay whatever he wants. Daniel 3.35 reads of God, He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold his hand or back or say to him, what have you done? And Paul, in the New Testament, plainly declares in Romans 9, 20 and 21, But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? Now, we are not told why, by God, why Jesus chose these three, both here and elsewhere. But we must accept the fact that it's absolutely right to do so, and it was the wisest thing possible, because Jesus chose it. And as we move on, once again, before a very significant event, we find Jesus praying. We found him praying before when he was just going to ask the question, who the men say I am? And we find him once again praying. Again, pointing to the necessity and the power of prayer. And meanwhile, the disciples, well, they're once again experiencing that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, and they're slumbering. They're fighting off sleep. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all give accounts of what we call the transfiguration of Jesus. The Greek word that's used in Matthew and Mark is metamorpho, from where we get the, the word metamorphosis. All right? And uh, Luke just says a changed form. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. And his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. And just as the, the cocooned caterpillar breaks out of its uh, its uh, cocoon into its butterfly glory. We should think like Jesus' glory was kind of breaking out of his humanity. And Matthew writes that his face shone like the sun. And this brightness awakened the disciples to witness this incredible scene. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. For some reason, the NIV doesn't, does not translate a word here. Most other translations do. It starts out, says, behold, or, or look, two men. It's a word of, it's an imperative, it's an intense call. He says, look, look. And we can only imagine what this meeting was like. Now, we assume that Jesus was using their names. 
calling Moses and Elijah. So how would the disciples know who they were? They never met them. I mean, unless maybe Moses is standing there with the Ten Commandments, right? And Elijah and his fiery chariot, which there's no indication of that. So we must think that, indeed, they, they were using their names and the, the disciples knew that it was Moses and Elijah. And why these two? That's also been a great source of discussion. But Dr. Philip Rankin, author and president of Wheaton College, writes about these two figures. In those days, people referred to the Old Testament as the Law and the Prophets. And together, Moses and Elijah stood for the whole thing. Therefore, their presence testified that Jesus had come to fulfill the Law and the Prophets, that he was the culmination of everything promised in the ancient scriptures. And there can be more symbolism here. Uh, maybe Moses was representative of believers who died and yet were in glory. And Elijah, those believers who will be raptured, alive, who will be in glory. <clears throat> Moses had pointed ahead uh, to the coming Messiah in Deuteronomy 18.15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. And Elijah's presence fulfilled the prophecy of Micah, which stated that Elijah is to return prior to Messiah. And Luke tells us that they were discussing Jesus' departure. That's a nice way of saying his coming death. The word literally is exodus. And Peter gets so excited about this that he thinks it's a good thing maybe we should build some booths here. <clears throat> and the reference to booths, uh, some feel that this should be tied into the celebration of the, the Feast of Tabernacles when the Israelites built booths and lived in them for seven days. But if this was the time of the feast, they needed to be in Jerusalem because it was a pilgrimage feast and not on the Mount uh, as they were. And also, Luke and Mark give a very negative comment about Peter's remark rather than in telling him that he had a good insight as to what was going on. Luke says he did not know what he was saying. That's typical of Peter. Uh, just kind of shooting off uh, right away, speaking before he thinks. Mark says, Peter, not knowing what he was saying and being very fearful, offered to put up three shelters for them. And uh, so rather than having some theological insight, uh, uh, Peter was just kind of doing what most people would do with visitors. He was trying to be hospitable. And he said, let's set up a couple of booths for you because they don't have any place to go. <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, so Moses and Elijah had nowhere else to go. That's why it was kind of like he did not know what to say. But then the scene is interrupted by the cloud. A descending cloud falls upon them and they are filled with fear. In the Old Testament, a cloud is so often associated with the presence of God. Uh, just one example, Exodus 19.9, the Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud. And in this cloud, the Father's voice rang out. This is my Son, whom I have chosen. Listen to Him. 
Over the past few sermons, uh, the question that has been asked by various people about Jesus is, who do people say I am? And Peter's uh, confession was solid, the Christ of God. And yet there was more to be known about Jesus. And so now the Father answers the same question, removing all doubts. This is my Son, whom I have chosen. Listen to Him. To be the Son of God is to possess all the attributes and the authority of the Father. In other words, it's to be fully God while at the same time fully man. Luke mentions that Jesus was chosen by the Father. And this fulfills the saying in Isaiah 42.1. But God's speaking, he says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. And 1 Peter 1.18 states that Christ was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. So it was Christ chosen and revealed for? What was the purpose? Well, the purpose was our redemption. In that eternal covenant between the Father and the Son, made before creation, the Father elected some to eternal life and entrusted them to the Son. And Jesus specifically said in John 6, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. And then the voice from the cloud emphasizes, listen to him. Notice it doesn't say, listen to them. Moses and Elijah included. Listen to him. The law and the prophets had their place, but the Father here verifies the supremacy of Christ Jesus. Hebrews 1.1, we're told, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. And in Hebrews 3, it starts out, Fix your thoughts on Jesus whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. And I think it's symbolic that it was as Moses and Elijah were leaving that scene that the Father says, listen to him meaning his son. Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. In Hebrews 8, 7 and 8, 13, we note, For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated, will soon disappear. Matthew and Mark mention that at the sound of the voice from the cloud, the disciples were terrified and fell face down to the ground. 
And when they looked up, there was Jesus, and only Jesus. But he is enough. And Jesus again instructs the disciples not to say anything about this at this time for the same reasons we mentioned the last time. They still need more information to know the whole plan and all the pieces of the puzzle and understand to understand Christ's mission of redemption here. In this transfiguration, we are given a glimpse of glory. It's just a glimpse, and as resplendent as it was, it was not a full picture of Christ's glory. It was not a full manifestation of his excellence. Oh, if that's not a full picture, what do we have to look forward to? John Calvin comments, his transfiguration did not altogether enable his disciples to see Christ, as he now is in heaven, but gave them a taste of his boundless glory, such as they were able to comprehend. The majesty of Christ in all his divine glory is a sight that no one of us can entirely see or fully comprehend while we are in our mortal bodies. Scripture records that some are given glimpses of that glory, as in this account. But we also maybe think of Isaiah's vision in chapter 6. And he says, I saw the Lord seated on a throne high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And he shuddered at the glory of God. And yet John explains to us what Isaiah saw was the glory of God through Christ. In John 12:40, after quoting Isaiah, John writes of Christ, Isaiah said these things because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke of him. Isaiah saw God's glory, but he saw God's glory in the person of Christ. Not God's glory as God sees and knows his own glory. Isaiah saw what was fitting for him as a sinner. And it is only when we experience our full sanctification that there will be a face-to-face encounter, that we will be able to see Christ in unmediated glory, for we will be like him. 1 John 3.2 reminds us, Dear friends, now we are children of God, And what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 49, speaks of that change that awaits every believer. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. We must be changed 
and glorified. This was God's eternal purpose, as he states in the grand chain of events in Romans 8:29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn amongst many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. This is the process of our sanctification. 2 Corinthians 3.18 states it. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. As we continue to grow in Christ through faith and serve Him, with an ever-increasing devotion, we are going through our own transformation, our own spiritual transfiguration. It's the same word that's used there, metamorphosis. And it is only when we fully reach our own glorification, full glorification, that Jesus' request to the Father in John 17:24 will be fulfilled. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. It is when we are where Jesus is that we will see his unmediated glory. And only in the light of our own complete sanctification Can we stand in the light of that glory? Philippians 3.20 confirms this transformation. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Did you hear that? He will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. And what an awesome promise for us. We will, we will be like Jesus in glory. Our faces like His will shine as bright as the sun. And we will be finally completely free of our sinful nature and thoroughly holy. Matthew 13, 43 states that fact. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let him hear. So embrace your destiny. Such is the blessed hope that awaits all those who put their faith in Christ Jesus as His child The Spirit is transforming you. Ugly butterfly or ugly caterpillar that you are into a beautiful butterfly. But for those without faith, Scripture says it's impossible to please God. And without holiness, no one will see God. Yet this is not all relegated to the future. 
This does not mean that while we journey here, we do not have glimpses of glory. Famous uh, English pastor John Owen wrote, So let no one deceive you. He that has no sight of Christ's glory here shall never see it afterward. The beholding of Christ in glory is too high, glorious, and marvelous for us in our present condition. The splendor of Christ's glory is too much for our physical eyes, just as the sun is shining in all of its strength. So while here on earth we can behold his glory only by faith, it is by beholding the glory of Christ by faith that we are spiritually edified and built up. For as we behold his glory, the life and power of faith grows stronger and stronger. And by beholding the glory of Christ, we shall be made fit for heaven. As we read and study and pray and meditate upon the scriptures and the person of Christ Jesus, we cannot help but grow in appreciation of our Savior. We cannot help but admire in awe of what Christ has done for us. We cannot help but be hope-filled with thanksgiving in His promises of what He will do for us. We cannot but grow in our confidence, surrender, even if it means death, because that will bring us wholly sanctified into His presence, and we will see His unmediated glory as it should be, and we will be like Him. It is then that our heart's desire will find fulfillment in the words of Psalm 27.4. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I speak, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to see Him in His temple. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in you. And what a grand and glorious promise, Lord. That as we catch this glimpse of glory here today in your word, and to think, Lord, of what awaits us. That because of your grace, Lord, and the faith that we have, that one day, Lord, that we too will shine as bright as the sun, as we see you in your glorious glory unmediated glory, resplendent beyond concepts and words. And we will be like you. How humbling, Lord, that by your grace you would do this for us. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Like the gentleman who will be serving communion, if they would come forward. First Sunday of every month is Communion Sunday when we, as believers, gather around the Lord's table. 
The Lord desires us 